0: To look for the helpers and ICT SOS podcast. My name is Amber Gonzalez, the education coordinator for ICT SOS. When our favorite neighbor, Fred Rogers was a boy and would see scary things in the news, his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always see people helping. Today, the helper we are looking to is Mary Stoltz at the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center. She is the director of survivor services the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center strives towards a community free of the occurrence and threat of sexual violence. As always, don't forget to subscribe to look for the helpers and consider signing up to become a monthly sponsor. You can do both of these things on anchor.fm forward slash ICT SOS. Hi, Mary. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be here and see people in person. I know. (laughs) That's what each person I've had on the podcast recently, um, because we've come in this room and we get to be far away and whatever. Everybody's like, it's good to see a face. (laughs) Yeah, not a screen. screen. (laughs) Yeah. How are you?
1: You know, I'm doing well. I think... Our theme of 2020 has been learning new things. So um, I think personally and as an organization, we have certainly had our moments of, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, what do we do now? Um, But I think overall, most of our staff are looking at, oh, wow. We would have never taken the time to learn this had the pandemic not happened. Yeah. And so we have really found some ways to make our services more accessible. And we're really trying to focus on gratitude for that. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: sounds like there's just so much grace over there. You're just trying to pour grace on yourselves and each other, like learning new things. We're learning new things. (laughs) We're doing our best. (laughs) I love that. And how are you doing personally with all of this?
1: You know, personally, I've been okay. My family has all been safe, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm an introvert so I don't mind staying home I'm so (laughs) with you (laughs) as much as other folks um but, you know, again, I haven't had a, an immediate family member really horribly affected by COVID. So I'm coming from a really privileged standpoint sure. when I say I'm OK.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you there on kind of the personal aspect, like during the shutdown and everything. Um, and as people have really been very anxious mm-hmm. um, and kind of panicky during all this. Yeah, I'm. I'm an introverted person who struggles with um, anxiety and I was um, talking to some people this summer and I'm like I don't know why I feel so calm right now like I feel okay like (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's almost like the world is is at the same level of my anxiety or Uh something. And I'm like, guys, it's going to be okay. Like I've been living in this world for so long. Like I can help you, you know, like (laughs) here's how you take care of yourself. Here's what you should do. Here's how to be an introvert. Uh Like, yeah, I'm with you there. That's perfect. We've known, um, we have a a couple of family friends that have passed away from COVID. And then we've, we've known a handful of people who have been sick or who, um, have then lost a loved one or who have really been affected by it. So, um, but, same as you when it comes to our personal family and you know like my um immediate family not my personal Mm -hmm. family you know we've we've been able to stay safe and healthy and Mm -hmm. okay so yeah I'm with you like there's a certain set of privilege I think that I've been able to do pretty well as Mm -hmm. we've been home during this pandemic but that's not the case for everybody around us certainly isn't Yeah. yeah yeah so Yeah. Well, it's good to have you here and and be in person so we can have this conversation. So um, for anybody who maybe doesn't know really about the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center, um, WASAC for Mm -hmm. short,
1: um, do you think you could just give us kind of a description about who you guys are, what you do? Sure. Um, So like you said, we're we are working towards a community free of the occurrence and threat of sexual violence. Um, that's a pretty lofty vision. And I think right now we all know that that's probably not something that's going to happen in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, but it's still worth the work um, and worth moving our community forward in a way that someday we'll get there. And maybe my great great grandchildren can see it. <laughs> um, but who we are as an organization, we've been in our community for We are looking at 46 years this year. So in 1974, uh, we are a very grassroots organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Some community members came together and said, how sexual assault victims are being treated is not okay. Mm -hmm. We have to do something about this, even if it's just bearing witness to their pain. Mm. Um, And so they started our hotline and they started our medical advocacy program, which is going with survivors to the hospital for forensic exams. Yeah. And again, we go. We're there to emotionally support them, believe them, and bear witness to the process of what they have to do and the courage that it takes to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, those are still, uh, forty six years later, our yeah. real foundation services is our hotline and our medical advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've grown quite a bit since then. <laughs> yeah. um, we now have thirty one staff. Um, we. Kind of focus twofold. We want every survivor in our community to be supported and believed and to have connection along the healing process. Um, so that looks different for every survivor. Um, but then we also have a team of advocates dedicated to educating the community and starting these really hard conversations. Um, we are in 2020 and people still don't like to talk about this topic, mm-hmm. but we do, you know, it's also a lot different now than it was when I started 15 years ago. Um, with the advent of Me Too and big celebrities coming out and bringing light to this topic, we have seen some real forward movement. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. I've been um, doing prevention education in the schools for really just a couple years with ICTSOS. And I've seen a huge change within probably the last year and a half Mm -hmm. with our students. Um, Even earlier today, I was on um, like a virtual presentation with Mm -hmm. some students. It's like an intro to law class. And um, when I ask them questions about um, there's a scenario we talk about where there's a boy who's experiencing this within his family. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know what? What would it? what makes it hard for this boy to speak up or get some help? And a lot of the kids immediately jump on and they're like, well, cause he's a boy because he's afraid he's ashamed. You know, he yep. doesn't think people are going to believe him. And those answers, um, I didn't hear when I started this, mm-hmm. you know, they would kind of look at me and they would be like, this happens to boys mm-hmm. like this happens. So yeah, I think that this conversation has come a long way. Yeah. But we have a long way Way to go. go. Yes, we we do. A long (laughs) way to go. So I wanted to ask you first. So your services right now, Mm -hmm. you've got the hotline, Mm -hmm. um, the medical advocacy. So Mm -hmm. you go in. So if someone's going to go into the hospital and maybe get an exam Mm -hmm. or um, like with some of the forensic nurses, you have advocates that can go and be there.
1: Mm-hmm. With COVID right now, are you guys doing that? Or are you just doing virtual? Right now, that service has moved virtual. So we have okay. iPhones in the hospitals and we have advocates on call 24-7. Okay. So they can FaceTime with an oh, advocate. Okay. And, um, or a lot of folks choose to do just phone contact. Sure. Um, so that is the one big service that we had to move virtually. Sure. Um, but we're really hoping at the start of 2021 to get back in our hospitals. Yeah. So,
0: so then what other services
1: do people have access to right now? Sure. So, For our survivor services, you know, one thing that I really want people to know is we are here for survivors throughout a lifetime. A lot of folks who walk in our door were not assaulted last week. They were Mm -hmm. assaulted 25 years ago Mm -hmm. and couldn't tell anyone. And so now they finally are ready to talk about it and we are here to listen. Um, So we have two therapists on staff. Who provide kind of individual therapy to survivors? We also have really expanded our support group options, um, even more so during the pandemic because we started hearing how everyone feels isolated right now. Survivors are already feeling isolated mm-hmm. because of their victimization, and so we saw those two things kind of crash together. Mm. So we expanded our support groups are virtual. Okay. But we have right now, um, we have weekly groups for adults, weekly groups for teen, and we added a workshop component. So every Thursday, um, or almost every Thursday, we have different workshops that focus on healing skills. Hmm. So we have a meditation and mindfulness workshop coming up in November. Yeah. they're different topics based on the month. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just that way to be an extra connection piece sure. for survivor who survivors who wanted to touch base maybe more than once a week.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so we have those services. But we also, um, another myth, I think, about our services is that people have to report the rape to line, law enforcement. Or they have to be going through the criminal justice process. It's what I love about working for WASAC is that we're not part of... The criminal justice system. We're a private nonprofit on the outskirts. So we can support you if you choose to go through that system, or if you choose that that's not the best pass- path for you. Yeah. Um so we do have two court advocates who go with survivors from every, you know, every law enforcement interview through every meeting at the courthouse, through a trial, through everything. Um, and then we also have advocates who are always in our office. So if folks say that's not right for me, I don't want to call the police. We trust them. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I think that's a fantastic service that you guys have is that, um, that, that, uh, reporting yeah. situation, because I think that that's a huge barrier for mm-hmm. people to come forward and disclose, um, what's going on with them. And sometimes I think people don't want to do that or um, they're afraid of what that looks like. And so I love that there's a place in our community that that people can come forward and get the help that they need without feeling pressured to make that decision. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of folks, it is the best path for them. Um, You know, and I heard from a survivor last week who said, "Okay, I want to make a police report, but I really don't want my neighbors seeing Patrol cars in front of my house. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, one thing we offered, we said, Come on in, do it here. And so, she was able to come to our offices. We called the police there. She yeah. made the report in a confidential way where she didn't have everyone asking her questions. Sure. So, yeah. or neighbors. Neighbors. <laughs> asking, yeah. Asking neighbors. Questions.
0: Right. Which usually will get to everybody. Right. Yeah. Cause, yeah, I totally, totally understand that. Wow. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. So, you had said that was one of the misconceptions that kept people from, um, from kind of understanding what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other misconceptions around maybe what you guys do or even just sexual assault in general Sure, that you guys are, are try to dismantle?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we always say, everybody on our staff is always like, we will talk to anybody who will listen to us in this community um, because this is an issue that affects all of us. Um, I don't know a single person who says they don't know a survivor of sexual violence at some point in their life. Um, And this is a hard truth that not a lot of us like to admit, but most of us know perpetrators too. Um, And I think that as I was thinking about misconceptions, that's one of the biggest things that pops out is the misconception of what a sex offender is and who they are and what they look like. We. The community expects them to be scary or creepy Mm. or we want to see them coming. Mm. And the reality is that's not the case. (laughs) Much more often, um, now forgive me for this, much more often perpetrators are very nice people. Sure. And I don't mean niceness is a quality that they possess, but I mean niceness is a tool that they use. And they're very good at it. Um, And so... You know we often talk about the grooming process with victims this is what perpetrators do to groom victims but perpetrators also groom the community and every person that they don't hurt is also on purpose too because they're relying on all those people in their life that they didn't hurt to come to their aid if somebody comes forward Mm. and unfortunately that's what we see happening right a survivor comes forward and says hey this person hurt me and then there are armies of people behind the perpetrator saying, no, he would never do that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And without recognizing that they have also been groomed by this person mm. to rally behind them.
0: Yeah, wow, wow. Um, from your experience, and you may not even know the answer or be able to answer this, but is that oftentimes, a, is this a conscious thing? At the forefront of maybe a perpetrator's mind? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. That may be too big of a question. Yeah. I don't know if I know the answer to that either. It seems like maybe that's um, some of that kind of grooming process, I think, within the community is that... Um, Maybe there are sincere sincere beliefs Mm -hmm. that that perpetrator has about their actions and about who they think they are Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and that there's a potential for justifying what they've done Mm -hmm. to um, the person that they've harmed. Mm -hmm. That'd be something that I... I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that, or if there's any research on that. But yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure curious. that there that's is. very powerful. It's a very mm-hmm. powerful image that you have painted that they're that they're also grooming the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what does
1: that mean for a for that survivor, for that person that's been harmed? So unfortunately, for a lot of folks we work with, it means they're not believed, yeah. and it means the first person they tell questions them mm. or says. Are you sure? Hmm. Um, And look, survivors are already doubting their own reality from the get-go. They're already, we're not expecting that. This was someone they trusted, right? So they're already thrown off base. And then to have their experience questioned by somebody they trusted to disclose to um, just further pushes (laughs) um, them into that disbelief and shame around the issue. Wow. Unfortunately, that's what we see is we see survivors not be believed. And when survivors are not believed by the first person they tell, often they don't ever tell again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You
0: had said earlier that a lot of the, not a lot, but that a portion of survivors that come to you guys to access services, you know, the harm that may have been done to them was done a long time ago, Mm -hmm. you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, What do you think it is that has changed or that has happened that is is Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: happens for a survivor that they go ahead and they decide to get some help what what is happening there
1: yeah that's a good question and i think it's a really personal question for Mm. probably every survivor um one analogy i use a lot um is you know i have a five-year-old son yeah um when he was young he broke his leg and we had to go to the doctor and sure. get a cast on that leg and go for follow-up treatment and make sure it was okay and healthy and healing. Mm-hmm. So he was hurt and then went through a healing process. Yeah. Unfortunately for a lot of survivors of sexual violence, they're hurt in a very different way than a broken leg. But instead of talking about it, going to the doctor, working through this healing process, getting it casted, addressing it immediately, mm-hmm. they are dealing with it alone yeah they have no one to talk to or maybe they're not believed or maybe they're experiencing this victimization over and over and over again and those broken legs don't heal unless we treat them Mm -hmm. these wounds don't heal unless we talk about them um, and talk about the impact that they had in our lives and so um, that manifests in a lot of different ways for survivors So whatever it is that catapults them into saying, "Okay, I'm going to talk about this now, um, I think is a glorious, courageous moment. Mm,
0: Yeah. A lot of courage. Mm -hmm. A lot of courage. Yeah. A lot of courage it takes to to talk to somebody about any of those things, whether it happened a moment ago or it happened 25, 30 years ago.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. Um, I have. A, a question for you that I know how I answer when I'm in the community because I get this question a lot from students um, what would you say because we're talking about misconceptions here that sometimes the community has around this mm-hmm. because it definitely affects survivors the way that the community thinks about this issue because it's the community usually immediately surviving like mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry responding to the survivor like mm-hmm. you said um, one of the things that I get a question of is like, well, well, what about somebody who's lying? Or I knew someone one time who was lying about
1: that. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Um, yeah, that comes up a lot. And that it is, it's a huge misconception. People think that survivors lie about this a lot and they do not. Um, now, am I going to sit here and say that no one's ever lied about sexual assault? no. Um, but most research that has been done around this issue puts the rates of false reporting, and when I say false reporting, I mean reporting to the police. <laughs> so that that's which a is whole already other cate- low, right? Yeah, that's a whole other category, right? If you're telling your best friend, you're not really reporting to the police at that point. But even looking at um, false reports to law enforcement, it's anywhere between two and eight percent. So. It's much more statistics will be on your side to believe people and people who are telling their best friend, you know, my question is always, what what's in it for a survivor to lie to me? They, there's nothing they're going to, mm. you know, there's nothing in it for them. So I believe every survivor that walks in our door. What do you think it is?
0: Um- As kind of that knee-jerk reaction for somebody listening to a survivor, what do you think it is that is this initial, like, it's almost like this feeling of, I don't, I don't want this to be true. So you must Mm -hmm. be lying.
1: Yeah. What do you think that is? You know, that's such a good, uh, you framing it that way is a good point. And we see this in families a lot is, okay, we have a perpetrator and we have a victim in the same family. So is it easier for me to believe that my niece is a liar or is it easier for me to believe that my brother is a sex offender it's much easier and more i can forgive someone for lying i can't forgive someone for perpetrating on my child you know what i mean and so i think it's the easier route Mm -hmm. to not believe
0: yeah yeah i can i could see that i could see that and i think as just a community standpoint Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for us to kind of close our eyes to it mm-hmm. and say, no, nope, we don't think that's true. They're right. probably lying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's a piece of that that I think goes into a lot of the conversations that we have in the community and with students as well about some of the gender dynamics, about mm-hmm. how we view men and women in our roles in society there too. Um, I think that's, that there's a big piece of that too, mm-hmm. that I think there's been these lies and misconceptions surrounding the um, You know, masculinity Mm -hmm. and about who men are and the way that they view women, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that there was this idea not so much anymore. At least mm-hmm. presenting in the way that, you know, if you watch a movie from the 90s or early 2000s, you're probably going to see like, oh, you know, that, well, girls are liars. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. That mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, and it's like the, the men are kind of around that. So I think there's there's kind of this built up thing in society, too, that is still it's still protecting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's still protecting that idea of I don't really want to handle that truth of that perpetrator may have done this thing. It's, right. e- it's just so much easier for me to say. Well, that yeah. person's a liar.
1: That's just how this group of people is. Yep. Right. Yeah. Cause holding people accountable for sex crimes is hard, right? This is a yeah. big task. Um, what does accountability look like? And within a family, you know, that's, um, wow, it's hard stuff. And so, Again, do you have any wisdom or
0: any thoughts for that? So let's say we have somebody listening who um, this has happened within their family or, or friends or someone that they know. Mm-hmm. What a uh, what a hard, strange feeling that is to know and love someone and then to become aware that they have harmed someone else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any any thoughts or any
1: words on that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm how, throwing really hard yeah, questions no, at you today. Tough. I'm sorry, No, it's okay. Um, you know, one thing I believe as a human, and I don't know if this is really speaking from an organization standpoint or just mm. my personal standpoint, but it's very rare that humans are 100% good or humans are 100% bad. Mm. And so when somebody comes to me and says, this person that I loved um, was capable of this egregious thing. I listen and I believe them and acknowledge that I get that they did this bad thing and it's hideous, but I also get that they might have been really loving and wonderful in other ways. Mm-hmm. And you can have mixed emotions about that. And honestly, who I hear that from the most in family dynamics is the survivor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this was a really scary part of this person but then I really loved it when we did this and he was a really good dad in these areas or whatnot. Um, And it's okay to have complex feelings. Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, So, Yeah, I think
0: that's a very important truth that um, somewhere in the back of our minds um, we kind of know. Um, But yeah, we need to remind ourselves of that. It's okay to have very complex feelings Mm -hmm. here. And it is okay to have complex feelings and understand that maybe you do love those good parts, but then back to what you were saying about accountability, Mm -hmm. but then hold those actions responsible. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to hold, let's say, since we were using the term perpetrators, what does it hold, what does it take to hold perpetrators accountable?
1: You know, I think when I, when I envision accountability, it's, You have to acknowledge the harm that you caused. And we also as a community need to make sure you're not going to do that again. Mm. And I think that is in a way some of the best justice for survivors when they speak up is, and most survivors when they are going through the reporting process, they tell me, I'm doing this so it doesn't happen again. This shouldn't have happened to me, and I don't want it to happen to one more person. Um, And they're actually very smart and right because most perpetrators are serial perpetrators. Mm. Um, So I think that's really wise on behalf of survivors in the reporting process. Um, So I think that's a question for the broader community is how Mm. do we make sure they don't do this again? Yeah.
0: I think that's a great question there for the community. yeah. And it leads me then to one of the other points we were talking about is is kind of and it's kind of jumping around on our points here. But what do we what do we need from our community mm-hmm. to help um, like your vision? And I know you said it's kind of a lofty vision. We have the same, you know, vision at ICT SOS <laughs> to create a, a community free of, you know, domestic minor trafficking. Um, what do we need from our community to to make that happen?
1: You know, I actually think it's much more simple. I mean, this is a complex problem with all kinds of really snarled roots.
0: (laughs) Um, Like the way you put that, very snarled roots.
1: Yeah. There's not one thing we can just
0: pull out and fix it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want the community to be paralyzed in those roots. You know, like, I don't know what I can do. Mm. You know, this problem is so huge and so complex. What do I do? Um, I think there's, I always tell people, I need three things from you (laughs) when you have someone in your life who discloses that this happened to them, believe them, just believe them. That's all I'm asking you to do. You don't have to investigate it. You don't have to question it. Please just believe them and don't blame them for what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then ask them. Or tell them you're sorry that that happened because this kind of violence, sometimes we don't know what to say and so we just say nothing mm. and it's okay to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That never should have happened um, and acknowledge that. And then that third thing I always tell folks um, if someone discloses to you is ask them. Survivors know what's best for their healing. Mm. Ask them, what can I do to be helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, and it might take them a while to answer that, but let them be able to guide you and how to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think so often we get caught up in, well, I need to know everything. I can't tell you how many survivors I work with. I don't know their whole story and I don't need to, all I need to know from them is how can I be helpful in your healing process? Mm. Um, so I want folks to be able to do that and be safe people for survivors. Wow. I think if every survivor had that response when they first disclosed, our world would look so different. Mm. Um, we wouldn't see folks needing to run from home, <laughs> you know? Sure. We wouldn't see folks um, who are feeling so many hard things that they go to n- drugs or alcohol to numb or the millions of ways people numb sure. hard emotions. Um, if people are believed and supported, just like my son getting that cast on his leg, he walks and runs fine now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. Um, there's a bunch of questions I could ask you based on those three things that you said, but one of the first things you said is believe them and then don't blame them. What is blame- how does blame come across?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, blame comes across in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's really nasty and like, yeah. you know, the typical victim blaming. Yeah. What were you doing there? What were you wearing? You know, oh, well, what did you expect would happen? That kind of stuff. Um, those kinds of mindsets <laughs> just tell the victim it's not safe to share anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um and sometimes I think victim blame is much more insidious than that too. Mm. Sometimes it's asking questions, you know, mm. that like oh, well, did you know that, you know, yeah. Did you know you were drinking that much or did you know it's mm-hmm. it's framed in a much sure. more soft way but it's victim blame all the same.
0: Yeah. That kind of goes together in my mind with what you said about investigating. I think as someone who wants to help someone else, I think we we feel like we need to know all the facts, Mm -hmm. right? Or Mm -hmm. we're just curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many TV shows do we watch, Law and Order and Crime, you know, CSI or whatever, where they immediately jump in and they ask poor questions Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if there's just this morbidly curious part of us that we just need to shut down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? right? Yeah. And exactly like you said, I love the way that you word that. Just believe them, and then, what is so important about um, asking that survivor?
1: How? What do you need from me to be a part of your healing? Why is that so important? I think that's important because it restores their sense of control. You know, all their control was taken away from them in this victimization in a way they never saw coming. <laughs> And to, if we can start to res- restore that sense of control and agency in their life, um, I think it's going to help them in the long run. And, I mean, ultimately, I just say this all the time, you know what's best for you. Yeah. There's no one cookie-cut answer for how you should mm-hmm. respond to this. Yeah. Everyone responds differently. Everyone's healing processes are dynamic and unique. And so I need your help if I'm going to be helpful. Right. Right. So,
0: yeah. I love how you had put that earlier with the snarled roots (laughs) of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and then it's, um, it's presence in our community. And I love how you've painted that picture then as well, that if, if, we can respond well to survivors and then we can help them along in their process of healing, whatever they decide that looks like for them. Um, what a, what a beautiful picture that is Mm -hmm. that if we can help them to heal and make them feel believed and move them forward, um, what that means for our communities, Mm -hmm. that is so wonderful. So one of the things I just kind of wanted to, um, make a connection on just for our listeners. Um, One of the things that we see with human trafficking is that oftentimes a a person who is going to become involved in human trafficking, um, something like this, what we have been talking about is a part of their past.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And oftentimes a trafficker or an exploiter or a pimp, um, this is something that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. They're looking for someone who was harmed, looking for someone who was hurt. Um, Because it's one of the tools that they can use against that person, Mm -hmm. especially if, um, you know, this is a survivor of um, any kind of sexual violence has come forward and they have not been believed. Mm -hmm. And now when that trafficker can come forward and try to use that person right in the community's eyes, this is not a credible person. Mm -hmm. And so to them, that's something that they're looking for. And so I think it's really important for our listeners who are invested in wanting to end human trafficking to really realize this connection Mm -hmm. that sexual violence, it happens all around us. Like you said, everybody has been affected by this, whether they realize it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, This is happening in our families. It's happening in our communities in our neighborhoods. Um, And we get to play this really beautiful part of believing and listening and offering help and not trying to take that help out of someone else's hands, like Mm -hmm. you said, not trying to jump in and save the day, right? right? Because I listen to look for the helpers (laughs) and I want to be a helper too, right? (laughs) Um, But just offering the help and saying, hey, what do you need from me? What can I do for you? Mm -hmm. Would you mind just going through those three things? So if you're supporting um, somebody, so somebody comes to you, says, hey, this thing has happened. What mm-hmm. were those those three, three things, things again? I feel like those are just so beautiful. And I yeah. love the way that you worded them.
1: So believe them. Don't blame them. Um ask oh, I'm sorry, I'm going out of order, I guess. Um believe folks, don't blame them. Ask how you can be helpful. Mm. And I think that other piece is just being there and bearing witness yeah. with them. Yeah. And that's it. And that's all you have to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And really, it's it's so hard, but it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's a revolutionary act, right? When we start believing survivors, this is revolutionary. Yeah. Our culture, our society will change.
0: Yeah. So. I 100% agree. Um, well, thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. Um, I... Uh, love talking to you. I love having you on here. Thank you for all this. Thank you for taking my hard questions and, and <laughs> being willing to dive into this very difficult conversation with yeah. me. Um, it's difficult to have this conversation, though important. I know you and I are like, ah, oh, let's let's get this message out there. Um, but I know it's also difficult for listeners to hear, too, mm-hmm. to try to digest this information. Um, so I will link. Um, your information, the Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center information in our show notes. Perfect. So if anyone is interested in donating and finding out more about you guys, if they need you as a resource, um, I know your hotline number is on there. Um, the access to workshops and um, the groups that you have, I know it's probably all on there. We'll link all of that. Um, and then your information, if anybody has any follow-up questions or anything. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We would love to hear from anyone. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Okay, well, we'll wrap this conversation up. Um, for further information about ICTSOS, how you can help, donate, or become a monthly sponsor of Look for the Helpers, please visit our website, ictsos.org, where today's show notes will be posted. You can also follow us on social media at ictsos. Thank you for listening, wash your hands, and stay safe.